0: How many of you, um, like myself, have failed epically in your relationship with the Lord at some point in time or another? Most of you probably are perfect, like, not like me. Um, but if you've ever failed epically in your relationship with the Lord and just completely been disobedient, knowing full well what you're supposed to do, you chose to do something completely stupid and disobedient and sinful, uh, this is a passage of Scripture. That's probably why I, I study this so often, because I'm, I'm prone to, what is it, what does the song say? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Um, I think most of us are prone to wander. We have a sin nature that we're still overcoming in this world. So uh, this passage of Scripture is the perfect prescription on how do you pray through this to get past those moments of epic failure. And maybe even some of them that are not so epic, but just, you know, Sin is sin, right? So when you, when you stand in opposition to God, what is the pr- appropriate response? Well, this passage of Scripture, if you look at the, at the top of your, uh, we're in Psalm 51. If you've got your Bibles, you want to look at it. If not, it'll be on the screen. But Psalm 51, the little header on, in their Bible probably says something like, for the choir director or choir master, a Psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after he had gone to Bathsheba. So, we think of King David in high and exalted terms. You know, we think of him, the Bible tells us he's a man after God's own heart. You know, he's, you know, Jesus is in the, in the lineage of David, and, and he's that king that everybody holds up. But I cannot, for the love of everything, I cannot think of anyone in Scripture who failed more epically than David did in this specific thing with Bathsheba. Now, this passage of Scripture, if you, talk, if you read most commentators, they would tell you that this is probably written by David, and this thing with Nathan probably happened nearly a year after the actual events took place. Okay, so if you don't know what I'm talking about, David was a guy who was known to be a great leader, a great king of Israel. He always sought the ephod. He would always go to the Lord, get the the priest and say, hey, let's let's consult the Lord on what we need to do. Should we go into this battle? Should we not? And he was always very uh, cognizant of that, always aware, and always trying to go to the Lord. But in this situation, it says in the Scripture that in the time when all the kings were going out to war, David decided to hang back at the palace I said, I'm gonna take a break this time. You guys go on without me. Spoke, he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. He's up on top of the palace, which sits up higher than everything else. He happens to look down, and lo and behold, there's this knockout who is taking a bath on the roof across the street. And he's like, "Hmm, maybe we should have her for dinner. Have her over to dinner." And uh, <laughs> okay, um, so he invites Bathsheba over for dinner, or whatever. And um, things progressed from there in a way that they shouldn't have progressed. And um, a child was born out of that. Uh, But before the child was born, he's like, ooh, probably shouldn't have done that. Um, Let's get her husband Uriah to come back from the war and say, you know what? You deserve a break. Why don't you go hang out with your wife a little bit and maybe we can get get him to go with his wife. And it'll all just kind of get swept under the rug, right? Well, Uriah's a good dude. And he, was, he, was, he just said, while well, my guys are out there fighting, I can't go back and be with my wife. It doesn't seem fair. So he wouldn't go in there. So David's like, well, what am I going to do? So he sends, he sends um, word to the front and says, hey, do me a favor. Put Uriah up on the, on the front lines. Well, what's he saying? You, 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 he's basically assigning his murder. You know, he's he to we're going to put him in a place where he's definitely going to get killed. And so he did. He, he got killed. So David had an adulterous relationship tried to cover it up with uh, having the, the, him come back and sleep with his wife, send him up there because he wouldn't sleep with his wife, Send him up there to be killed. And so here we are. He's a year later thinking, oh, whew. everybody thinks he went home and, and, and this is his child. Um, so, But for a year, he's kind of swept this under the rug, felt like he got away with it. And then Nathan, the prophet, comes to him and starts telling him this cute little story about um, this guy who'd, who'd stolen from another man and taken... And um, David gets getting furious. Oh, this guy's a—he's a jerk, you know. He's a, well, what, what, We should—we need to deal with that guy. And Nathan says, "You are the man." Now, in our day and age, if I came up and said, "Mason, you are the man," Mason would be like, "Yes, I am." Job, right? Yeah. Scott Trump. You are the man. You can hear it it at the golf courses. You know, when Tiger was playing, you know, he'd hit a great shot and say, you're the man, right? Well, in our world, that sounds like a pretty good thing. I'm pretty sure David did not take it that way. When he said, you are the man, David was broken. He realized that he hadn't covered anything up. He had been weighed and found wanting, if you will, but just everything came out Not necessarily out in the open, but for him, he knew he'd been exposed. And he was devastated. His epic failure had been brought to light. And now, what is this man after God's own heart going to do about it? So, if you have ever experienced epic failure, or not so epic failure, but just failure in general, I think we need to know what to do. How do we pray through this situation? There's four things on here. They're going to be quick. I'm just going to read through it, make some comments. Um, First thing is pray for forgiveness. The first nine verses will, you know, in, in our rhythm that we've gone through when we talk about praying through these psalms, we always first look at we, we, our first stroke is up, right? We look up and, and recognize God for his greatness. Well, in this passage, you'll see, it says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. He is a God that has a steadfast love according to your abundant mercy. Thank the Lord for his mercy, right? So he's, he's a loving God. He's a merciful God. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you only have I sinned. Is that true? Was that sin only against God? Well, certainly not. It had effects on a lot of different people in that scenario. But when you look at this, he's he's saying, listen, I have completely blown it. This is just me and you talking, and I I have completely failed you. He wasn't saying, you know, this doesn't have any effect on anybody else. But this is when you're in this situation, who do you have to deal with first and foremost? you got to ask God for forgiveness, right? Uh, for I know my, my sin is every form against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. What's he doing there? He's owning his mistakes. A lot of times when we come to, come to somebody and ask forgiveness, it's with a qualifying statement. Oh, forgive me, I did this. This is why I did it. But, you know, and, and, and you, know, you, you probably would have done the same thing. This is not what he's doing. He's saying, listen, you're justified Whatever judgment, whatever punishment comes my way, I deserve it. We don't like to say that, do we? When we're asking for mercy, we really are asking for mercy and trying to, trying to justify why we did it. Just own it. Own it and go to him for forgiveness. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in my sin in sin did my mother conceive me. Again, not saying that he was born out of some other adulterous affair or anything like that, he's just saying that we all are born with a sinful nature, right? You agree with me on this? Remember, I'm a youth pastor for a lot of time, so I'm used to answering, so you can feel free to say, yeah, I get that. We we, we all have a sin nature. Um, Once we come to Jesus, we're made righteous by position, but we still are struggling with this sin nature, and we know that this is how we were born, so we're struggling with this. I get this. I was born into this sin nature. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let my... Let me hear joy and gladness, let the bones that you have broken rejoice, hide your face from my sins, blot out all my iniquities. There's so many beautiful images there, or painful images, to purge me with hyssop thing. In the, in the uh, sacrificial law, they would use hyssop, this is a leaves, hyssop leaves, and that would be how they would apply the, Paso- the blood from the Passover lamb, they would apply it with hyssop, with, with hyssop leaves. Uh, even in some of the, the uh, anointing, uh, the, the holy water and the anointing stuff, that they would use, they would use hyssop in those atonement. Practices. So this is one of those things saying, wash me clean with the hyssop. You know, this, this part of that sacrificial thing. Um, uh, th- the whole concept of the, the bones that you have broken rejoice. You know, and I don't I can't really know whether this is true or not, but in preacher lore, um I feel like every preacher has told this story, and I really cannot verify whether it's true or not, but um you'll follow it anyway. You know that picture that, of Jesus walking around with that lamb or sheep around his, he's got it on his shoulders, around his neck. Have you seen that picture, that old image? Well, the story about that that everybody tells, every preacher's told the story, I feel like, that when a sheep would get a little crazy and start wandering off, you know, and put himself in danger because he's wandering away from the, the shepherd and wandering away from the flock, you know, one of the things that a, a shepherd might do would be take that, that lamb and actually break its leg and then carry it around so it would become completely dependent on the shepherd and know that it needs to stay near. I, I don't know if it's really true or not, but the image is, is there, and I, if you hold on to that thought for a minute, you know, when he says, let the bones that you have broken rejoice, you know, whatever you need to do to make me completely dependent on you I'm coming right now asking your forgiveness. Do whatever, I'm owning it. I need you to do whatever it takes to bring me, make me right with you again. Do you hear the desperation and the links of ownership here? We're not generally good at owning our mistakes. In fact, scripture in James tells us that we should confess our sins to one another and pray for one another so we can be healed. But what does the church normally do? We say, look at what I do really well. And they, we hide these things back here that, oh, yeah, I have a problem with this and I have a problem with that, but I'm not going to tell you about that. I'm going to put my nice clothes up on Sunday and I'm going to come out here and I'm going to sing and I'm going to raise my hands and I'm going to do all this stuff. But this to me is just, you got, in order for him to blot it out and to really accept your, you know, if you want forgiveness, you've got to own it. I mean, and own it all the way. So that's the first thing. Second thing is pray for restoration. Um... I think it was Matthew Card back in the 90s wrote this really cool song. Uh, and I sang it forever, Created Me a Clean Heart. And that's what this passage says. Created me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Now, there is a, there, there's a group of scholars and biblical scholars that would tell you this is this is not applicable to us today. It's just not applicable because we, we, we live in the new covenant. We've got grace to cover this stuff. So we don't need a, we don't need a clean heart. We've got a clean heart. We don't, we don't need a, a, a right spirit because we've got the right spirit within us. We don't have to ask God to, to not cast us away from his presence because we're assured that his presence is ever with us, right? He's Emmanuel. He's, he's God with us. We don't need to ask these things. Okay. In the, in the very technical, I, I 100% agree with all those things that, I just, that those people would say. But I think in the context of what we're talking about here, when we're failing God, when we have failed God, I think that one of the things that has come out of that mindset is that we have a lot of people in the church that embrace the grace, but they do not, they don't, that's all they grab. They grab the grace and not any of the responsibility that comes from the relationship. Um, and, and I'll tell you that it's very clear in, in, in Romans uh, it's chapter 6 where Paul says, what, should we just go on sinning so that we can get more grace? And probably the most emphatic statement in the Bible is what follows that. And in the Greek, it's genotoy is the, is the Greek word for that. And it means heaven forbid or may it never be. We don't live our lives saying, hey, I've got grace for, that covers everything I can do, so I'll do whatever I want. I was, um, I followed Jen. And Chris, um, this one I did follow them, but they were they were out in uh, in Vegas this week, and uh, I had uh, some work things going on. I, I had a group of, I was meeting out there, and you know Vegas is, I mean, it's called Sin City for a reason. And uh, I found myself in some places out there that I'm like, what in the world? You know, why am I here? What am I? Why am I? Why am I sitting through this? And you know, I was with a group of people, and I I found myself in a place that I, you know, at at my Place in life. I've been knowing Jesus almost 50 years now. Um, next year it'll be 50 years I've been uh, a, a believer. That's, I can't believe I'm even that old. Um, but I found myself like one night the group was all getting out and was kind of building community in this group. And and they were down. We were staying at one of the New York, New York. It's a resort and casino and stuff like that. Having our meetings in there. And so uh, we went to see a show. Came at dinner and show. Came back to the place and. Uh, some of them walked back. So I got in the hot tub, and I was like, oh, that's cool. I'll just, my back's hurting. I'll get in the hot tub. And, and uh, then I saw a picture they'd gotten back. Some of them had walked back, and, and they were all down there, everybody but me. And I'm like, oh, I really should go down there. And I'm not sure, I mean, I, I feel like I didn't make a mistake. It wasn't one of those things. But I ended up following those guys around, and I, I got back in <laughs> like 3.30 in the morning. We closed down some bar, um, and I'm like, I mean, and, and I found, my, I was just kind of hanging out there trying to make sure other people didn't make, and in that situation, I've never had a drought, drink of alcohol, and I'm, there's nothing about that bar that was going to make me want to drink alcohol. Uh, nothing about the crazy women dancing on the on the bars that was going to make me want to do something stupid and, and cheat on my wife. I, I, it wasn't like I was in jeopardy of becoming, but it's not a place where some of, some of us should go, and probably not a place I'd ever want to spend a lot of time, but in that situation, I didn't feel, I didn't feel terrible about it. I just I felt really sorry for people that lived that way. I mean, I was, a, a group of people had come over from Ireland to celebrate a birthday, and they connected to our group, and, and there was one, poor, one, one little, I say one little girl, she's 40 years old, um, they are celebrating her birthday, and she was so drunk. Like falling down drunk. And I I just kind of felt like I was following her around just to make sure she didn't bust her head on the ground or these guys from Germany that seemed to be following her around weren't going to end up doing something stupid and taking advantage. I I just felt like I was sort of... But we can't put ourselves in a place where we keep falling like that. And when we do... We need to ask for restoration. You can find the forgiveness, then we pray for restoration, right? Creating me a clean heart. You don't get a clean heart by, by going into the bars and going to the... That's not where you get a clean heart. Do we need a, a new heart? When we come to Jesus, we've got a new... We're, we're made new, right? We've got a new heart. But we also have to guard our hearts, right? And that, the Scripture's pretty clear about guarding our hearts. Best place to go to guard your heart is probably not Coyote Ugly. Okay? I mean, just uh, this is just me, confession, whatever, you know. Um, but uh, it's just its crazy. you got to guard your hearts. What I do think is very, very ap- appropriate for most Christians is that last line, restore to me the joy of my salvation, of your salvation. I think there's a lot of us who know who we are and whose we are. Um, but because of the small failures and because of the difficult times, There's not a lot of joy in a lot of our lives, and I think that for if maybe that's why the church is less powerful in the world, because we're just not as joyful as we should be, if we have Jesus in our hearts. So we pray for forgiveness, we pray for restoration, we pray for strength through brokenness, and this is where that song came in that we that we sang. You know, uh, listen to this. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and I will return to you deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it to you, and you will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. I think that's pretty clear. I think that our greatest opportunity for God to be glorified in our lives and to use us powerfully is for us to be broken, to recognize that we need him, recognize that, that without him we are, we are weak. And when we recognize that we are broken, when we're weak, he becomes strong. And I love that, you know, that we can be gracefully broken, you know. And I, I think that to that song to me is all about the balance between living in that new covenant where we're covered by the blood of Jesus and we live in grace but we also embrace the responsibility of living in a way that glorifies him and not only that but we're going to teach transgressor transgressors uh, his ways and sinners will return and uh, you know we're going to our mouth will constantly be declaring his praise you know, I think, that's, I think that's what happens when we find ourselves broken, when we can recognize and own our brokenness. Final thing. Like we talked about before, not only did David's sin have an impact on his relationship with God, but it certainly had an a, a, a impact on his relationship with Bathsheba and the child that was born. There were circumstances, right? There were consequences, certainly had a dire consequences for, for um, Uriah. But what I hear David praying for here is, God, please don't hold my sins against your people. And I think that when we get to the end of this, we need to recognize that our sin has consequences and we need to ask God to, and pray for others who are affected by our sin. It says, do good, this is verse 18, do good to Zion in your good pl- pleasure, build up the walls of Jerusalem, then will you delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole offerings, then bulls will be offered on your altar. Going back to that last point and this point together, and I, th- I don't think it's, um, I don't think it's accidental that whoever put the Psalms together put 50 right before 51, because 50 is all about uh, sacrifices and, and what's, what's, why do we do them? And, you know, listen, it's not all about the, the, the animal sacrifice. We'll give you that. I, could, I David would, could have given him thousands of bulls, but the truth of it is he didn't desire the thousand bulls. He wanted a broken and contrite heart, right? And that's a right sacrifice. You delight in right sacrifices, but listen, there are sometimes when our failure has a strong impact on other people and we need to ask God and pray for those other people. And it might mean that we not only have to ask God for forgiveness and pray for them, but you may actually have to go to that person and rebuild a relationship that you've broken through your sin. And I'll I'll take it one step further. You may have to go back and restore a relationship that was broken through somebody else's sin. The only person you can control in any relationship is yourself. And sometimes somebody else's sin will wreck you and it'll keep you from being right before God, and you will have to say, God, I need you, and strengthen me, because I need to go talk to that person. So we're going to sing that gracefully broken song one more time, and as we do, I want you to just kind of pray through that. Identify these things that we talked about earlier, you know, and ask God for forgiveness. Pray for restoration pray for strength in your brokenness, that God would be glorified and that not only you, but his kingdom would be glorified because of your obedience and your power, uh, power in, in your brokenness. And then help him, ask God to you know, help those people that have been affected by your sin and maybe strengthen you f- to go and rebuild relationships that have been affected by somebody else's sin. The only way we can do any of that is because Jesus paid it all for us because of the grace. So we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. What we're going to do is I'm going to I'll open the table. Um, as soon as I do, you guys come grab whatever. If you're, if you're a believer, we invite you to come and, and participate. Um, but just take, take the elements, come back to the seat, pray through those things, and when you're ready, uh, go ahead and take them. Um, and then we'll sing the song together. So, um, Father, I pray um, that all those... <laughs> choices I've made that have not glorified you that, um, Father, that you would forgive me that you would restore me and in my brokenness you would be made strong and Father, for those who've been affected by my choices by our choices Father, I pray that you would not take your hand of blessing off of them but Father, just bless them and Father, help us restore relationships on, on that horizontal level, just as if we're trying to restore them with you. And I pray this in the powerful name of your Son, Jesus, who makes it all possible.